Amen. All right. Well, let's uh, bow our hearts uh, before the Lord and lift these things uh, to Him. Uh, Father, I just uh, am thankful that you save big sinners. And uh, Father, our hearts rejoice this morning as we have been singing about who you are and your great grace towards us. And Lord, help us to um, see that you are the enthroned one that we must worship and follow and give our lives to. And Father, that you uh, are always with us, watching over us, caring for us, even more than we care for ourselves, even though sometimes it's hard to, to see that. But Lord, uh, increase our faith in you and strengthen our faith. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of, of who you are, as we'll see this morning. Uh, because, Lord, it's, it's all about you. You are the, the Almighty, the great I Am, the, uh, the Jehovah, and uh, Lord, the one true and living God. And so we praise you, and we just uh, glorify you, Lord. Help us to do that more in our lives as we pray to you and as, as we sing praises to you uh, in our hearts. Lord, this morning we, we come with uh, many requests. And Lord, we thank you that you know these requests already um, even better than we do. So we're not uh, telling you something you don't know. But Lord, we're just lifting, simply lifting these people to you and their needs. Uh, and Lord, uh, to have mercy and, and uh, hear our prayers. You've told us that we have not because we ask not. So Lord, we're, we're simply asking this morning and continue to be with, with Betty as she recovers. And uh, Lord, uh, we're thankful that it wasn't any heart problems. Just to strengthen her, God. Also for uh, uh, Macy and all that she's going through and will go through, uh, just be uh, near her and strengthen her. And uh, Cameron as well, uh, Lord, who is uh, uh, going through struggles and, and uh, just the Christian life and seems to have no joy. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would work mightily in his life as we pray for him, God. May he set his eyes on Jesus for Andrew and as he continues to get this uh, men's fellowship going and, and just give him guidance in, in that respect. and uh, Lord, we lift David to you and we pray that you would heal his, his neck and, and uh, the degeneration. Lord, I've seen you heal eyes. You can heal anything. And so, Lord, we just uh, ask this in Jesus' name. And for Anthony and Alice, uh, Lord, uh, we pray as they search for a church that you would show them just the one that you would have for them. And But Lord, we, we would pray it would be this one, that we might minister to them and that it might be about them and not us. Lord, I pray for Ben as he continues his work and, and the contracts that they need and, and all that he has to do. Just strengthen him, encourage him, and Lord, provide the work 
for Carol, Lord, and we thank you uh, that the surgery, surgery was successful as she recovers, that it wasn't cancerous. And so, again, these things, Lord, we lift to you. And so we lift our country to you. Uh, Lord, our sinful country, our wayward country. And Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on this nation of ours. And God, that uh, you would withhold judgment upon us as we deserve that you would bring a revival, God, in our, in our days. We ask all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. <clears throat> all right. Turn, if you will, to Mark <clears throat> chapter 10. I'm still in Psalms. Uh, chapter 10 and <clears throat> verse 17 and through 22. <clears throat> You'll have to, my voice is sort of scratchy this morning. We've been working in getting Dad's house cleaned up, and there's mold in there and <clears throat> dust and everything else, and so it's kind of gotten to me. And so anyway, you may hear some <clears throat> some coughs. But bear with me, please. How to share the gospel. That's what I want to talk about. You know, last week, we saw the value of sharing the gospel with children and how Jesus loved children and the value of each child, that each child is worth more than the whole world put together, every soul. And he loved children. He picked them up and embraced them. I'm sure they sat on his knee and he bounced them. What a, what a privilege that would have been to be bounced on the knee of Jesus. Paul would have been good, you know, uh, even Billy Graham. But boy, Jesus himself. And so we too need to love children the way Jesus did. And I love my little grandkids. Uh, and I love the children in this church. And... Uh, I love to have fun with, with children. So that's for us as well. Also, we saw to enter the kingdom, we have to become like little children. Little children are totally dependent on their parents. We need to be totally dependent upon God. We need to trust him as children trust their parents. We need to accept the gift of salvation through Christ by faith. You know, we're so skeptical uh, adults are, but little children, you know, accept things readily. I could probably put a $100 bill on the table here and say, anybody who wants this $100 bill, come get it. You know what the adults would think? All right, what, is he, you know, what does he want from me? You know, there's got to be some catch to this. But if a little child hears that, what are they going to do? They're going to run up here and grab it. Uh, I know what you're thinking. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, we need to be not skeptical, but believe God for what he says. Because God has given us all these wonderful gifts and blessings in him. And so we see that not just children, but all people need to hear the gospel. And are we sharing that good news with other people? Jesus did. And uh, we're certainly not above him. Uh, Mark 10, 
verses 17 through 22. Let's read that together. As he was setting out on a journey, a man came up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. See, not only for children, but also... It says he had a love for this man. As far as we know, this man never came to the Lord. He went away sad, as we'll see. People ask me, can you tell people Jesus loves them? I think from this verse you can. You can say, Jesus loves you. And said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. We'll stop there and take up next week uh, about this rich young ruler again. But uh, how to share the gospel. There are two basic concepts of evangelical churches in this century of ours and probably even back in the last century as well the first concept is that the church is a building that you invite non-christians to to preach to that's one concept the other concept is a church is a meeting together of the people of god to worship and be taught so they can go out and share jesus with with other people now i don't find the first concept in the new testament uh, but I do find this second concept. We find in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14.23, it says here, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together, and notice the whole church, and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? So in other words, the unbelievers are not part of the church. Now, they may come into the church, and I welcome them to come, but it's not about uh, them. The church is about God's people, and then we are to be trained and learn more and more so we can go out and uh, uh, present Christ to other people. And so I think this second concept is the true concept. Another misconception, though, about evangelism, sharing the gospel, is that you've got to go through a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten step, and uh, keep all those steps in order, uh, kind of like a salesman pitch, and uh, um, so we have to be careful about making the gospel just this mechanical thing. That it's it's just. Do this, do this, do this, bloop, bloop, and you're in. No, it's, it's, a, it's about life. It's about people seeing Christ in you. And that's what uh, is so important. And there are various ways, I think, to reach people. You know, books are a great way. We've got these 
tracts in the back of the church here and, and uh, that you can hand to people for them to read. That's a great way if you don't like really talking to people. And uh, you can also uh, do other things as well. Uh, at Christmas time uh, is a great time for you to send cards to people. And in that card, give the gospel, write it out, uh, uh, explain how, what Christ means to you. So th- there are plenty of ways to, to witness. And, uh, but I think the best way is friendship evangelism, where there is a one-on-one relationship. And that means making friends. Uh, and even unbelieving friends in the sense of have them over to your house, uh, give them a, a, a supper, get to know them uh, so they, they can see Christ in you and, and then witness to them about him. And of course, we cannot open their hearts. Only God can do that. But open up your life to them. And if you open up your life to them, they will open up to you. You know, if you want somebody to admit their sin, tell them about your sins. And you'll be surprised how quickly they'll, you know, I've got a problem too. Because you've, you've just been vulnerable in telling about how you fail, even as a Christian. And uh, so that's extremely important. Friendship evangelism. And uh, here is an interesting story, one of the most interesting stories in the, in, I find in the Scripture. We see how this one man comes to Jesus to ask him a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Don't you have people coming up all day long just asking you that question? No. No. Matter of fact, Probably in my life, there have been half a dozen at the most that would come up very interested in knowing Christ. No, we have to go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in because uh, it takes work to do that. But that wasn't the case here. And uh, I wish all people would, uh, would ask this simple question. This would be a preacher's dream, a soul winner's dream, but it happens very rarely to say the least. We find, though, that this is, I think, a very important passage and that this story is in all three synoptic Gospels. It's in Matthew 19, Luke 18, and then here in Mark 10. Now, what are some of the common uh, general facts about this man? For one thing, he was young. He was, it says in Luke, that he was a ruler, probably of the synagogue, though that we don't know. He was very rich. He was an achiever, self-assured. This was a businessman on the go. And uh, he had the world uh, in his hand. Boy, what a trophy this would be. What a trophy this would be. I'm saying it's kind of hot in here, isn't it? (laughs) Boy. To win this rich man and get him in the church so he can give all the money and whoa, what a trophy. Jesus, you've got to get this guy. I mean, he's, he is uh, a real trophy. He's eager. Matter of fact, doesn't it say here he runs up to Jesus? And I think this is genuinely too, he does this. Uh, he's not mocking Jesus at all. He gets on his knees before Jesus. 
But uh, this was a man, I think, who had a, a clean life. He was a moral man externally, a good person. Matter of fact, if anybody could have earned their way to heaven, this man would have had a good chance of doing that. We find out that he'd kept the commandments even though he hadn't, but he had a good shot at it if salvation was by works. But, you know, this man realized something was wrong. In Matthew nineteen twenty, he says, The young man said to Jesus, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? He realized there was something that he was lacking. And uh, Jesus was going to tell him. Probably not what he wanted to hear. But what do I lack? He asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? How did Jesus deal with this man? Exactly right. He goes to the very heart of the issue here. But in the average church, if this man had entered in, do you want to go to heaven? You bet. All right? Do you believe you're a sinner? Oh, yes, I do. Do you believe Jesus died for sinners? Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, Then ask Jesus to save you, okay? And they would... uh, Uh, Put him in the choir. I mean, salvation has got to be an easy, easy, easy thing. Now, don't misunderstand me. It It is easy in that it's free. It is easy in that it's by faith alone, through grace alone. So it's easy. But there is a cost of discipleship, which we've already seen in Mark. Okay? And so... Jesus does not let this man off with his sin. And, uh, of course, Jesus came uh, to, to save sinners, and this man truly was a sinner, and yet he didn't see himself as a big sinner. We need to deal with people in light of God's word. We have to deal with people In light of God's word. In light of God's truth. We've got to teach them what the scriptures really say. And that's what Jesus is about to do. We need to deal with them where they are too. Because see, everybody's different. Some people, other people have been witnessing to them and the Holy Spirit has been working on them and they're just ready, ripe, you might say. But others are not there. And so you've got to start with people where they are. And that's what Jesus does here because this man had some real problems. First of all, in verse 21, what do we find? Jesus loved him. Whoa. Jesus loved him. Do we really love lost people? and desire to see them come to know him. Jesus saw him as a sheep without a shepherd. Why are we afraid to witness to people? Raise your hand if you're afraid at times to witness to people. Come on now, be honest. Just about everybody. And I want to know why you didn't raise your hand. We're all, aren't we, afraid to witness to people. And we don't witness to people like we should. <laughs> yeah. 
That's true. Uh, I think we're fearful of what people will think about us. We're fearful of what people will think about us. Why? Because we're more concerned about ourselves and what people think about us than us thinking about their need. Imagine someday, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? You knew him and you didn't tell me about him? Imagine if you're walking down a street and for some reason a manhole cover is open and you see this person reading something as they're walking down the street. What would you say to that person if they were about to fall into that manhole? Look out. Brothers and sisters, the lost are falling into a manhole. What are you doing about it? Are you yelling and screaming? At that point, you wouldn't worry about what, what is that person going to think about me because you're going to keep them from harm. Brothers and sisters, people are dying and going to hell. And we're acting like there's no manhole cover. God, help us. And I'm preaching to myself here. Do we really care about people at work that we're related to? And are we worried about them falling in the manholes? Also, secondly, he pointed this man to the attributes of God. He said, good teacher, never do you find uh, in the Talmud rabbis addressed that way. Good, good teacher. They reserve that for God. Jesus is saying, don't throw this word around so easily, this good teacher, so loosely. And really, Jesus kind of throws water on him. I mean, after all, he's really been giving him a compliment. Don't you love it when people give you a compliment? Yeah. But sometimes we have to say, wait a minute here, and, and, and be truthful to them. And he says, no one is good but God. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's no one good but God? You know, the scriptures are very clear. In Romans 3.12, all have turned aside. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Are you a good person? Not according to scripture. You're good in Jesus. You have his goodness by faith. But you yourself are not good. You're sinners. I hate to break that news to you, but... Uh, there's no one good but God. That's why you need God, because you need his goodness. Uh, Psalm 51, 52, 1. There are a lot of scriptures that teach this. You can read them for yourself. Why do you boast in evil, almighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Nahum 1, 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Thank God for that. Psalm 119.68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Psalm 33.5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And it is. That he would have mercy on anybody 
and save anyone speaks of his goodness and his mercy, his loving kindness to us. So what's the thing that we must do first? Start with God. When you're dealing with people, start with God. That he is our creator. That we owe him everything. By the way, when Jesus says, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. Jesus is not saying here that he isn't God. Matter of fact, he is saying he is God. If you call me good, it's because I'm God. And so don't let the Jehovah's Witness use this verse to tell you that Jesus wasn't God. We have to study all of Scripture. No, Jesus is God. But this man thought he was good. That is, the man thought the man was good. That's why he uh, says what he says. I've kept the commandments. You know, when when you stand before God in heaven, the illustration's been used, and I like it. And the Lord says, why should I let you into my heaven? Is your answer going to be, because I'm good? I hope not. Because if that's your answer, you will not make it. I've been good. I've tried the best I could do. That's most people's understanding of salvation. And they're wrong. There's not a scale. and Your goodness has to outweigh your badness. We need to be clear about that. And in the 20th century, we have all these false misconceptions about God and ourselves. God is a force. He overlooks sin. He just created the world and then he kind of let it go, as the deist would say. And it's up to you. It's up to you now. God has done all that he can. and Man's in control. Then there's the pantheistic God, and that is Mother Nature. Boy, don't you hate to hear about Mother Nature did this and Mother Nature did that? And that is, of course, that God is everything. God is in everything because he is everything. That's what a tree hugger is. It's okay to cut down trees, to eat animals, and so forth. So we've got to deal with these misconceptions about God. Peter in Acts 2 and Paul in Acts 17, and I'm not going to read there, but they start with God. Go and read it. They start with God, who God is, and who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, that he died, that he was raised from the dead, and so forth. Go, to, go find what they preached. The third step, he points them to the law of God. Jesus points this man to the law of God. This man thinks eternal life can be earned. What must, notice, did you catch that? What must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus holds up the law as a mirror so this man can see himself. And that's what the law does, does it not? Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's why we have the law. So we can know that we're transgressors of the law. That we're 
breakers. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And so Jesus gives him these commandments, the duties for man. And uh, in Matthew, it even adds, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. What is Jesus doing here? What is Jesus doing with this man? He's trying to show the man his real need. He's really trying to show this man that he is a sinner, that he is lost, that he is a lawbreaker, that he is guilty before God. You know before you can get somebody saved, and we don't do that, of course God does, we don't get anybody saved, but before they come to Christ, they've got to realize they're sinners. That's what you've got to do. When you talk to somebody, if you don't do any, if you don't lead them to Christ, get them lost. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible. But that's what Jesus did here. He got this man lost. Now he goes away sad, but uh, nonetheless, he saw his lostness. Jesus destroys this man's superficial view of the law. Because he says, "Why well, I've kept all these things. You know, he seems to be saying, what can I do on top of all these other things I have done? What one thing uh, can I add to guarantee getting to heaven? So Jesus is getting at his heart and he says, and someone come to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do? See, good thing that I can do to obtain eternal life. Lacking, what is that one thing that I have to do, that good thing that I must do to inherit eternal life? Well, he's not going to like Jesus' answer. Most people are ignorant of their sinfulness and just how lost they really are. They really are. Well, you've got to get them lost. Um, there's a saying that I love. It says, uh, cheer up, cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. But God's grace is greater than all your sin. So that's, that's the answer. People think what they do can save them, but that's legalism. Uh, Jesus could have said, you know, adultery is in the mind. You're guilty of that. Anger is the same as murder. But what does Jesus do? He puts his finger right on this man's problem. See, he knows the heart. He knew the God that was this man was serving. He puts his finger on verse 21. Looked at Mark 10 in verse 21. We need to read that again just to... Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Well, that sounds like works, doesn't it? I mean, go and sell all you have. Well, Francis of Assisi thought that, and so he went and sold all that he had because he thought that's what Jesus was saying here. What Jesus is saying here is, no, This is your God. This is who you worship. You need to follow me. To follow me, you've got to give give up your other God. 
You cannot serve two masters. And of course, poverty is not a virtue. Do material things control us or do we control material things? This, Jesus shows this man where his heart really is. He coveted his money. His money was his God. Can you be rich and still love God? Absolutely. I'm not saying, if you think like Francis of Assisi that you need to give it all away, give it to me because <laughs> I'll take it. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's trying to let this man see his real love. And then Jesus points him fourthly to repentance. Jesus says, you need a change of mind. Turn from your idols. Stop trusting your wealth. Change your priorities. You are worshiping wealth. You know, this, this ruler would gladly believe if it would cost him nothing. If he could have two gods, his money and Jesus. But Jesus says, nope, it doesn't work that way. Sorry. That's true in our lives as well. Is Jesus our God? Do we worship Jesus? Are we trusting him? So Jesus points him to repentance. You know, it's, it's amazing. I, uh, years ago, when I was in school, we would go to Columbia, South Carolina, to the servicemen center there. These Fort Jackson, these guys were going over to Vietnam, most of them. And so we would go over there and bring them off the street and take them up to the center. and They'd eat uh, donuts and coffee. Maybe that's where I love donuts so much. Huh? But anyway, and so they would we'd give them something to eat, and then we'd tell them about Christ. Well, there was this one young man there, and uh, I told him about Christ, and, you know, he could have eternal life. Oh, I want that. He says, I said, well, you just have to pray to receive Jesus. And so he did. He bowed his head. I mean, eight out of ten guys you'd witness to would get saved on that basis of, oh, yeah, who, does, who wants to go to hell? I'll receive that. So after he received Christ, I got to talking to him some more, and I said, you know, uh, well, that's just one of you accepted Christ. And he said, yeah, my girlfriend that I'm living with will like to hear that. And I said, your girlfriend? You're not your wife? No, my girlfriend. I said, well, you know, that's going to have to stop. I mean, it's going to either get married or you'll have to separate now that you're a believer. Well, you didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me that I have to quit this stuff that I have to have a change in my life? What are you talking about? If, if I had known I had to give up my girl, if I had to give up my wealth, I would never have trusted him. So what was he saying? He didn't trust him. See? Because he loved this girl more than he loved Jesus. That's the way I took it. So Jesus points this man to Repentance. It's a heart attitude. It's not something 
that we just sign up to uh, and, and give mental assent to. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Remember what we studied in, in, in uh, Mark, also in Luke, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, that is to be a follower of me, to be a disciple of mine, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's exactly what he's telling this rich young ruler. Sell all your riches, follow me. Oh, I can't do that. Jesus could have said, well, you can have your riches and also me. But he doesn't do that. But that's the way the gospel, I'm afraid, is being preached today. Sad to say. Many of the churches, you can have your sin in Jesus too. That is not the truth of God's word. What is repentance? Uh, well, stop doing this and this and this and, and this and this. That's not repentance. That's works. It's not stop this, this, and this and come to the Lord. No, when you come to the Lord, you will stop this, this, and this, and this. See, we get it backwards. We put, we put it, the cart before the horse. Because re- repentance is the hard attitude of the willingness to let go of what you're holding on to. The willingness to let go of what you're holding on to. The letting go is the outcome of repentance. If you say, I've repented of that and you're still doing it, you have not repented of that because you're still doing it. You have not let go. The letting go is the fruit of repentance. If not, Salvation would be just stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing and do this, do this, do this. That's works. You see, repentance and faith go together. Repentance is the willingness to turn from whatever is your God to the Lord, trusting Him. That's the fifth thing. Jesus says, follow me. Which means, trust me. When you follow Jesus, you're letting, you're, it's 180 degree, you're leaving your old life, and as Paul said, behold, all things become new. Now, you don't do this perfectly, There's, you stumble along the way, you sin along the way, but Jesus is now your Lord, whom you're serving, whom you're following, that's what salvation is. Repentance follows You're letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go. Willingness to do what God wants you to do. This man was not willing to do that. Because Jesus said clearly in verse 21, follow me, trust me. You know, so important, we're almost through. Jesus is not an addition to life. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus is not an addition to life. Jesus is life. It's not a truth that you add on to your life. No, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. The way is not my life plus what Jesus wants me to do. No, my life is what Jesus wants me to do. Whatever that may look like.
there's a teaching that's around now that's very, very dangerous. And that is people can say, you can have Jesus as your Savior, but you don't have to follow Him. He doesn't have to be your Lord. And believe me, that is very, very dangerous. And there are a lot of people in the churches today that aren't Christians that think they are. Because He's their Savior. Who doesn't want a ticket to heaven? I mean, you can do that with children. Who wants ice cream? Who wants eternal life? It's free. I want it. Well, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your life. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. Most people, not well, most people, of course, don't want to do that. This rich young ruler did not want to do this. And he goes away sad. And that's sad. Because Jesus was very plain. He says, but if you confess with your mouth Jesus as what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart, that's the mind, emotion, and the will, willingness to do what God wants you to do, You will be saved. Believe in your heart that God raised in the day. You will be saved. With the heart a person man believes, resulting in righteousness, and, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And that gets back to what we started with. Are you confessing Jesus? Are you confessing Jesus? Have you ever confessed Jesus to anyone? What did Jesus say? If you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father which is in heaven. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? Did he mean what he said? Oh, no. See, he's a loving God. He's going to forget. He's going to forgive. He, no, that's what he said. That doesn't mean, though, that you have to go down to the mall and sit on a bench and go to people sitting on benches and, you know, just become a... That's okay if you do. But I don't think anybody in here is going to become that way. But your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, do they see Christ in you? Are you confessing Christ with your life? Or are they going, boy, that's Christianity? I sure don't want that. There's nothing to that if that's what Christianity is. What is first in your life? What is it that you will not let go of? Is there something in your life, and we're going to close with this, that you won't let go of? I'm telling you, you better let go of it. That's what Jesus says to this rich young ruler. Is Jesus your God? Is he the great I am in your life? If not, you need to confess that and come to him. Ask his forgiveness. Uh, receive him as your Lord and Savior. And again, I don't know everybody's heart. And, and, uh, but are you letting go? Is there something that you need to let go of? And this is serious business here. You know, uh, some missionaries I heard speak one time talked about being in the jungle and they learned from, the, uh, from those in the jungle uh, that monkeys were very good to eat. And eating monkeys, you say? Yeah. When there's nothing else around, I don't know. I'd have to get awful hungry, I guess. But you know how they catch them? They, they put a hole in a container that the monkey cannot carry off. 
And it's just small enough or big enough for the monkey to get his hand in there and grab on to the food inside. And he says, when, when they come around, missionaries would go around, he says, the monkeys wouldn't let go. They'd hold on to that. And they could hit them in the head and kill them so they could eat them. And of course, they learned that from those that were already there. What are you holding on to? What do you need to let go of? The result isn't pretty. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray now and, and Lord that you would work in our hearts. God, you know our hearts uh, far better than we know our own hearts. But Lord, if there's anything in our life that we need to let go of, I pray that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit that those in this congregation uh, that there's something that they need to let go of. But uh, your grace, God, you would, you would do that. That it would be taken away from them. That they would have victory and, and peace and joy that they will receive from doing that. Lord, we need you. Uh, I need you. There are things in my life that I need to repent of. Lord, I know that. And give us the grace to repent. To let go. Father, take your word and, and, and do your work in our lives. We'll give you all the praise and the glory for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.